Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. All right, we're in the book of Romans tonight, the book of Romans chapter number 11. Working through the book of Romans. We're at the point of 68, around 68 messages that we've been through the book of Romans so far. Uh, we're in chapter number 11. And we'll be reading verse number 1 down through verse number 6. Romans chapter 11, verse number 1, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. Want ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed all the prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather around this passage of Scripture this evening. Lord, we thank you for everyone that has made their way to be part of this corporate worship, this corporate time around Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would enable us to convey the truths that are here in this passage of Scripture. I pray that You would give us that unction that we stand in need of. Lord, I pray that as we look into this Scripture, may You not only help us as we speak this evening, but help the hearing ears to hear what your word says. Lord, I pray that you might help us, that we through the scripture tonight might magnify you, might glorify you, might marvel at who you are. And Lord, for this we'll give you thanks and honor and glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Once again, in the book of Romans, we embark on a scripture that many try to explain away, or they try not to explain at all, 
Or there are those that just explain God's Word as it is. And that's what we plan to do tonight, the Lord being our helper. Uh, because it has within it words that many are afraid of. There are words in this passage of Scripture that, in verse number 5 especially, that scare away a lot of people. Verse number 5, the Bible said, Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There are some things that you just don't dodge in Scripture. And God placed them there for that very reason. So that you and I aren't able to dodge them. If we're going to walk through Scripture, then we must deal with what Scripture says rather than choosing what we want to deal with and asking God to help us find something in Scripture that agrees with our ideas. And I think that's where uh, many are in these days that you and I are living in. Uh, but I think we do much much harm to ourselves when we're not just walking down through Scripture. When we're not methodically <laughs> looking at Scripture. When we're, when we're not systematically looking at Scripture. Uh, we are doing a disservice to ourselves. At first glance in, this, in chapter number 11, uh, that deals with the subject of whether God still has a purpose for the Jews might seem irre irrelevant to our lives. It might seem like the subject that God's dealing with, and, and we're going to get into this, but God is dealing with the fact of whether or not He is still going to deal with Israel or not. And when we're considering that, when we're looking at that in this passage of Scripture, God is talking about ethnic Israel. He's talking about those that are of the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul goes on and explains some of that and makes some of that clear. But we may would ask the question, and I think sometimes if we're not careful, that's the reason that people kind of skip over or dodge or they say that, that doesn't apply to us. That doesn't mean anything to us. But there's a great truth, a great meaning that we get from this Scripture that is very relevant to our lives. And that is the question that we're going to look at this evening is can God's promises fail? Can God's promises fail? God asks that question and he answers that question in this passage of scripture and we're going to look at that as we go down through here. What does the future of Israel have to do with finding a marriage partner or staying happy in the one with with the one that we've got? Uh, what does Israel's future have to do with the, pr the pressures at work or paying bills? How can it help us with our struggles to rear our children or to live in this evil world? What relevance does this topic have as you and I struggle with personal problems or maybe health problems in our life? Maybe you ought to check out right now and maybe check back in a few weeks from now because maybe this isn't relevant to us. 
that's the attitude that some may would have is, I'll just check out right now and I'll meet you back when it's more relevant to us. But there is relevance in this scripture and I think it is necessary that we deal with this. The underlying issue that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 11 is, can God's promises fail? And whether you understand it or not, and I know that most all of us understand this, in light of that question, this scripture becomes very relevant. It becomes very important in our life. God's choice of the nation of Israel as his people apart from all other nations on the earth is important. It's necessary that we understand this and we understand that. From Deuteronomy chapter number 7 verse number 6, God chose the nation of Israel. He chose them as his chosen ethnic group of people on the face of the earth. Though or through the prophet Jeremiah, God assured the sinful nation that was about to go into captivity that his promises to Israel could never fail. You can find that in Jeremiah 31 and verse number 35 and 36 and Jeremiah 33 and verse number 19 through 26. You'll find that Jeremiah instructs the children of Israel as an ethnic group. And I, I know that we talked about this morning how that what we dealt with this morning was being taught and preached to ethnic Israel, but it did not deal only with ethnic Israel. But Paul's dealing with in Scripture tonight the very fact that he is dealing with ethnic Israel, Israel as a nation. If God rejects Israel as his people, then his promises can fail. The reason for that is, is back up in Deuteronomy when we made that reference a moment ago in Deuteronomy chapter number uh, 7 and verse number 6, we find that God blessed Israel. And if he takes those promises away, then God will no longer be God because he would not be a covenant keeper. And understand tonight that God is a covenant keeper. If, if there is, and, and I know that you know um, several years ago there was, a, there was a movement that went through our nation that was called promise keepers. Well, that movement that went through our nation was a group of men that because they are who they are, are not the best of promise keepers. But there is one that does keep his promises, and that's God. He is the only one that will keep his promises. If God rejects his people, Israel, then his promises fail. If his promises to Israel fail, then how can you and I, as the children of God, have faith and confidence in what we've just looked at several weeks ago in Romans chapter number 8. Did, not get, did God not solidify some things in chapter number 8? He gave promises in chapter number 8 that are to us. 
But if God was able to fail in his promises to Israel, then he would fail in his promises to us. And you and I understand that he is not going to fail in those promises. Since some of these promises that we find in chapter number 8 include working all of our trials together for our good, Romans 8, 28, and his promise that no trial can ever cut us off from his love, chapter 8, verse number 35 through 39, the question is why God has seemingly rejected Israel. When we come to this passage of Scripture, that's the reason God doesn't waste time. Nor does God have His apostles waste time. What they say, what they preached, what they taught, what they wrote down was necessary. And God put it there for a reason. God doesn't waste time. You can trust God to do what He promises that He will do. This chapter also shows us how we should view the Jewish people. There are certain aspects. Some people, even church people, some people do not view the Jews at all in any way. Some people regard them in high esteem in other areas. Some people look at the nation of Israel and they look at what God said when He said, I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curse thee. When He said that, some people take that verse of Scripture. They take that individual verse of Scripture, they pull it out and they make the statement that as long as you're blessing ethnic Israel, you're okay. God does want us to look at Israel and look at the promises God made to Israel, but God's not necessarily concerned with us looking as much at Israel as He is seeing through Israel that God is a promise-keeping God. It's, it, it all goes back to seeing God, seeing God for who He is. As we consider that, there are some that would back Israel in anything that Israel wants to do. And we ought to be a friend to Israel. But are we going to be a friend to Israel when they are being... I don't know how to say it without saying mean to Palestinian believers... There are those in Palestine that believe and trust Christ. And if they're being, if they're being uh, mean or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, if they're being that to those Palestinian believers, where do we stand there? Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we going to bless Israel when they're being, uh, being oppressive to the Palestinian believers? You and I should not be. So we need to have a clear view of Israel. And I believe Paul 
lays this out as we go through this passage. One practical value of Romans chapter number 11 is that it helps us to look beyond ourselves to God's great purpose for history, which should lead us to worship Him for His glorious ways. It should... Everything that we see, everything that God is trying to direct us in is in essence trying to get us to have a clearer picture of who He is. It's not, God is not concerned about making sure that you bless a nation. God is concerned about making sure that you see the God of the believers and the people of that nation. He made promises to Abraham, and because of that, we need to understand that he is a promise keeper. Paul ends this chapter, chapter number 11, he actually ends chapter number 11 with an outburst of praise. In fact, if you were to look at the last verse in chapter number 11, verse number 36, the Bible said, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So what is the view that God's trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see him. Amen. He's trying to get us to have the right view. Sometimes we get self focused and we forget that our eyes should be on God and his glory <clears throat> there's an illustration that I'll probably use again in about two weeks three weeks from now because it's part of a message that I'm already studying for that uh, but I told Jeffrey there was an illustration uh, that uh, I'm trying to remember who it is, and it's not necessary. I'll, I'll give you the details when I have it in my notes. But, uh, but anyway, there's a gentleman that he wants, to, he wants to lay aside his spiritual pride. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to get too much into that message. But he wants to lay aside that spiritual pride. So he goes to another preacher that he, that he knows very well, and he looks at him and he says, what can I do to humble myself before God. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You get a sandwich board, and what I'm talking about, a sandwich board, one of those that you hang on your neck, and there's a, there's a message board on both sides, front and back. He said, you get, a, you get a sandwich board, you write out the gospel and every aspect of the gospel on both sides of that, and you walk around downtown, you walk around uh, the metropolis area uh, for one solid day and let people see the gospel. So he did that. And Brother Ricky, he, his, his whole effort in doing that was to humble himself, to humiliate himself, to get himself to be humble before his God. So he came back home that afternoon and when he took that sandwich board off and he set it over in the corner, the first thing that he thought to himself is I bet no one else did what I did. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. 
You say, what are you saying? Sometimes we get self-focused and we forget where our eyes should be looking. We should be looking at God's glory. Gospel Way Baptist Church is not here to raise up Gospel Way Baptist Church. Gospel Way Baptist Church is not here to make a name for someone. Gospel Way Baptist Church is here to glorify God and let people see the glory of God. That's our purpose. That's our reason for being here. It is not so we can boast and say we've done this in this amount of time or we've done that in that amount of time or, or look at what God has done for us. No, we're to be here to glorify God. Amen. And the way that we glorify God is by doing what we're doing. By following Scripture and being obedient to Scripture and looking at Scripture and seeing what Scripture says so that we can be obedient. Amen. To Scripture. His plan does include us, but it is not ultimately about us. Right. And that's what we've got to understand. God's plan in our life does include us, but it does not ultimately, it does not ultimately rest upon us. And we need to keep that in mind. It's all about His glory being displayed throughout the earth. He even tells us that in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 14 and Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 9 that it ought to be about the glory of God. It ought to be about God's glory. So as we consider this passage of Scripture this evening, there are a few things I want us to consider. The few things I want us to look at as we consider what Paul's talking about here. Number one is for God to reject people whom He has foreknown would be unthinkable. For God to reject the people whom He has foreknown would be unthinkable. Look at verse number one down through verse number four. He said, I say then, hath God cast away His people? Paul answers that emphatically. God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how that he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying... Elijah was making intercession to God against Israel, making this statement: "Lord, they have killed all thy, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left what alone. I am left alone, and they seek my life." Verse number four: "And what saith the answer of God unto him?" What did God answer him back? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee unto the image of Baal. You and I know the story. He runs to the cave because he's being chased. If, If I'm remembering correctly, he's just got through 
praying 63 words and the fire of God comes down, laps up the, the everything on the altar, burns the altar, and, and, and Jezebel gets mad at him and he runs off and hides in a cave because a woman gets mad at him. And, he, and, and, and there are the multitude of the, uh, the prophets, the, the prophets of Baal that have been killed. And he runs into that cave and he said, Lord, I'm all alone. It's just me. There's nobody else. And God said, I've yet 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. You may think you're alone sometimes, but you're not alone. So for God to reject His people that He has foreknown would be unthinkable. Paul begins with the rhetorical question, hath God cast away His people? He immediately retorts to that question, God forbid. He then illustrates the, the, the mention of Himself. He, he mentions Himself and He says in verse number 1, He said, I say then, hath God cast away His people? He said, God forbid. Then He mentions Himself here. He said, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. There again, in verse number 1 and verse number 2, Paul is dealing with ethnic Israel. And he's trying to tell them that God has not forsaken. Well, what, what, do we, what have we heard all of our life? Most of the time we've heard that, that God was dealing with Israel and God set Israel aside and now God's going and dealing with the Gentiles. No, God is carrying out His plan just as He planned from the very beginning. God has not quit saving parts of ethnic Israel. There are still Israelites that still get saved the same way that you and I get saved. Amen. So God has not quit. God has not forsaken His promises with Israel. And it, Paul illustrates that by saying that He is part of those same believers. He said, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. The fact that God has not rejected His people is illustrated in the present day by Paul himself, a Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions that in the latter part of verse number 1. He said, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul presents himself as an example, as an illustration that God has not quit dealing with Israel. He is still following through with his promise that he made to Abraham. He's adding some to that and he's reaching out a little further, but he hasn't forsaken Israel. Humanly speaking, Paul's conversion was the most unlikely event imaginable. When Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, what did many of the church of that day say? Uh, he's just, he just concocted this so he can get inside the church so he can take more of us than he's already taken. They didn't trust his conversion. They didn't trust that he'd been saved until they saw some evidence that God was working in, their, in his life. But they didn't immediately take him in 
They were weary of his conversion. In fact, you find that in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 26. They were thinking that he might just be a ploy to get inside the church where he could persecute even more Christians. Paul's conversion stands for one of the greatest proofs of both the power of the gospel to save sinners and the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His conversion should encourage us to pray and work for the salvation of those that are the most strongly opposed to the gospel. Have you ever made that statement or have you ever thought? I mean, have you ever just had a thought cross your mind? God can't save them. They're too far gone. I'd be careful having those thoughts. I'd be careful making those statements because if God can save the Apostle Paul, why did, why did the Apostle Paul say about himself? He said, of whom I am chief. He's the chief of sinners, he thought of himself. And you and I understand that if, 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 we, if we really look at our own lives, if God could save us, he can save others. If God can save us, he can save others. The fact that God did not reject his people is based on the truth that in eternity he foreknew. His people. You find that in chapter 11, verse number 2. God said, God, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. Want ye not that the Scripture saith of Elias how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, God foreknows the thing that we have a problem with, the thing that many people have a problem with, if God knows something, and here's what we've got to wrap our mind around, if God knows something, and God knows something to be a truth, if He knows that we're going to get saved, then in order for God to know that and still be God, it is unchangeable. Now wrap your mind around that one. It cannot change. That means that those with whom God reveals His grace to, they will be saved. How do we know that? Because God foreknew and if God foreknew his foreknowledge cannot change else he would be a changing God you see how the attributes of God tie into the salvation of man these things are so relevant to us and the fact that God has not rejected his people based upon the truth that in eternity he foreknew them is important for us to know so when Paul mentions God, God's people whom he foreknew, he is referring to God's chosen people 
Those whom God knows. In this passage of Scripture, in this particular passage of Scripture, in verse number 1 verse number 2, Paul is talking about ethnic Israel. And he is talking about the promises to ethnic Israel. But he is also talking about those for whom he foreknew. Paul emphasizes the sovereignty of God. If he is not sovereign, then he may not be able to keep his promises. But because he is sovereign, he will keep his promises. The fact that God has not rejected his people is illustrated in the past by the story of Elijah. We've already talked about that. Where God kept himself a remnant of faithful people. God tells us that in chapter, um, verse number 2 down through verse number 4. God talks about those 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Paul uses this familiar story to argue that the presence of a remnant shows that God has not cast off Israel as a whole. Even though the majority of Israel in Elijah's day had fallen into idolatry, so much so that the prophet thought that he was the only faithful one left, that God had preserved a, but, but, but through all of that, God had preserved a faithful remnant. God had 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. This demonstrates that God was not through with His people in spite of what others thought. I want us to think about two things in light of that. The emphasis in Elijah's story is on God's action as a decisive reason that the remnant was preserved. He said, I have kept for myself... God told Elijah, he said, I've kept them for myself. I have 7,000 that I've kept for myself. They're mine. Second, the fact that God worked through the remnant in Elijah's time is in, as in Paul's time shows that he does not need a great number to accomplish his sovereign purpose. God has a remnant. He had a remnant, he has a remnant, and he will have a remnant of his people that will obey him. Secondly, tonight, we can trust that God will be faithful to his promise because they rest on his sovereign, gracious choice and not anything within us. Verse number 5 and verse number 6 says this, Even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to what? The election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul's saying these two contrast each other. They cannot, these do not intermingle. 
You cannot work your way into salvation and you cannot work your way into keeping your salvation. You can't work your way into being saved and you can't work your way into keeping your salvation. It's impossible. Because it is all of grace. What did Paul tell us in the book of Ephesians? We went through that time and time again. For by what? For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the avenue that brings us salvation, but it is by the grace of God that we are given that faith in order to have that salvation. So we need to understand as we look at this, we need to understand that it is God and God's grace that makes a difference. Paul makes two points here. One is the existence of a remnant of believers today rests on God's gracious choice, not on their choice. It is only because God sought you that you got saved. It has nothing to do with you or I seeking after God. The Bible in the book of Romans, Paul in in Romans chapter number 3, Paul was clear on that. He told us there is none that that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. You and I are not seeking God. God comes seeking us. Amen. And it is His grace. And can I just be honest right here? If God comes seeking you, you will be found. Rest assured. If God is seeking you, you will be found. God is going to reveal His grace to those who are going to be saved. And we need to understand that is God and that is not us. In fact, in verse number 5, the same way then there is also come to be at this present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. You are part of God's remnant. You're part of that. If you're saved by the grace of God, you are part of that group of people that God sought out, that God came after. God's gracious choice means that His promises do not rest in anything in us. Or, Paul tells us, that grace would be no more grace. And if it is no more grace, there is no salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. For by grace are you saved, and if it is not of grace... And all of grace. It is not at all. It can't be. So it is not, what, what, what we've got to understand, that it is not 
our grace that saves us. It is not our faith that saves us. It is God's grace and His giving us the gift of faith to believe what the Word of God says so that we can have salvation. And if we don't get a hold of that and we think anything less than that, then we would have to believe God can fail, but He cannot. And it's evident in these Scriptures. Paul tells us even in verse number 6, he said, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it is of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Paul said, if it is of grace, it is not of works. If it is of works, it is not of grace. They do not co-mingle. Not even in the slightest. I've got a part of a bottle of water. And I enjoy this. But if you dropped one drop of cyanide in that water, it is no more water. It is poison. If you take the grace of God and you add works to it, it is no more grace. It is no more grace. It can't be grace if you do anything if I have done anything to merit salvation, it is no more grace. I'm talking about even the slightest drop. Even, even the, I grew up in church and I was looking for God. It can't be that. God had to come looking. It had to be all of the grace of God or it is not at all. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to see. And if we see that, then we can rest in the promise that God's promises cannot fail. But if we add ours into it, then we've nullified what God said and He can fail. The blessing is that you and I know God's promises cannot fail. Amen. Can God's promises fail? If they're based on anything of fallen humanity, then they easily could fail. But you and I know that they cannot fail because it is not based. And that's the reason Paul is so emphatic with what he's saying here. It's so that you and I understand that God is faithful to His promises. What did Paul get, just get through talking about a chapter or two ago? Paul's talking about the very fact that he's saying, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's question is, why in the world is Israel not by multitudes falling down and understanding that Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Paul said it is so plain when you see the Scriptures and you understand the Scriptures and you see Christ and you understand Christ in your mind and in your heart, you ask the question, why can they not see? 
Why can they not understand the truth of the Word of God? Because it is clear to you. Because God made it clear. But if you try to add anything of humanity into it, it will fail because it is no more grace. But if we base what we have solely on the sovereignty and the gracious choice of God, His promises are rock solid. They will not fail. I give you this in, in closing. Adoniram Judson, who spent his life taking the gospel to Burma, once said in the midst of his trials, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Adoniram Judson did not live. He did not live long enough to see the fruit of his years of hardship and labor. It was some 10 years when he left America. He left America with the, with the support of his congregationalist churches. He left and went to Burma, but on his way to Burma, he saw that the doctrine that he saw to be baptistic doctrine, the doctrine he saw to be the Word of God, he began to believe in that. He didn't believe in infant baptism and he didn't practice all the things that the congregationalist was practicing. And he did that before he ever got to Burma. God spoke to his heart. And he actually wrote back and he told them, he said, I've seen this in Scripture basically is what he said. I've seen this in Scripture and for that reason we will be preaching and teaching this way. So he goes to Burma. He gets to Burma after a long and arduous trip. He gets to Burma and when he gets there, he begins the, the task of translating the Word of God into Burmese language. Ten years, Brother Ricky, working with a language specialist there in, in, with the Burmese people. He worked with them and he was, after, after ten years of translating, that man he was working with with the Word of God is his first convert. If I'm not mistaken, it was ten years. I know it was at least seven years. Before he, before he saw his first convert. How many churches in our day would have continued to sin and support? No, we've got to see something. We've got a problem, folks. What are you saying? I'm saying that through all of that, he made this statement. The future is as bright as the promises of God. He lost his wife. He lost children. He went through the hardships and he stayed true to the cause of God. And he did not see in his life, he did not see what God was doing while he was there working. While he was there, there was something like 49 million people in Burma. 
and over. And, and now, when you look back, there are over 2 million Baptists out of those 49 million. Why? Because he was obedient to God and he had in his mind the future is as bright as the promises of God. Burma today is the third largest as far as demographics go, as far as their population and how many are walking in true Scripture. They have more. They're the third largest in the entire world that are walking according to the Word of God. Why? Because a man went and because a man had in his mind that the future is as bright as the promises of God. He saw that Scripture was true. He saw that God was going to do His work. God has, God has chosen us to be here on the side of the road. God has chosen us to be faithful to His Word. God has chosen us to carry forth the gospel of His Word. And though we may not see all that God is doing, God is being faithful to His promises. God will save those whom He came to save. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the Scriptures. We thank You for the truths of the Word of God. We thank You for what we've seen in Scripture tonight. I pray and ask You, Lord God, may we view Scripture clearly. And to view that scripture clearly, may we see much of you and much of your work, much of your sovereignty, much of your great care, much of your great compassion.